Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 16. We'll begin in verse 5. If you're visiting Christ Church today, we're glad you're with us. My name's Mark. I get the privilege of being one of the ministers here. And we're in this lengthy series through the Gospels, taking the books in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and synchronizing them together in a time frame to be able to tell the story of Jesus to the best of our ability. And we've been in this quite a a long period of time. And let me tell you where we're at today. Uh, In the last five weeks, we've been looking in chapters 13, 14, 15, and now in chapter 16 of the Gospel of John, as he portrays for us the particular night on which Jesus established the Lord's Supper, which we just celebrated, as he invited us to the table, and he offered us his body and blood to cleanse us of our sins. It was our Passover, and he was our Passover lamb. And all of that Old Testament imagery, Jesus showed them what he was going to do with it to extend the Passover to salvation. And then they left that room and they went across the valley into the Garden of Gethsemane. And what we're studying in John chapter 13 through 17 will be the moment in which Jesus in this transition begins to share with them where he's taking them. So I want to tell you that around this room, especially for those of you visiting today, around this room you can see that there are tables in the corners, if there are corners in this room, but there are tables in the corners with lamps lit on those, and those would be places that following our message today, the preaching of the word, and a time of musical worship that will follow, uh, there will be people that would be happy to join you there at those tables to answer your questions, to pray with you. Uh, to uh, help you set up an appointment with one of our staff if you'd want to sit down and have a conversation because today's text is so significant. On a night that Jesus should have been talking about himself, he was actually telling the disciples that he wanted to offer them something. He wanted to give them something. He wanted their discipleship to come to life and not quit because he was about to be killed. Uh, In John chapter 16, verses 5 and 6, let's read the first two verses. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. Jesus points out that he said he's going to leave, and we, we know, because we know the rest of the story, what's about to take place that night is Jesus is arrested in the garden. He's unlawfully uh, tried, he's unlawfully convicted, and he's unlawfully killed. And Jesus is forewarning them of that. But he says, it's interesting, I say I'm going, and no one's asking me where I'm going, Because you're all filled with grief. Dr. Timothy Keller, who is a a man whose research and scholarship has blessed my life and taught me much. uh, One of the things that he said that I heard him uh, in a sermon say one time, which I thought was significant, was that there's three primary reasons why people don't follow Jesus to the conclusion of their life. The first is what he calls content. That there are some people who don't go forward with Jesus because they don't understand. They bought into a bad stereotype or they bought into uh, uh, an inaccurate presentation of who Jesus is because of what man does with him. And so because of the content issues, they don't track. Then there's the coherence issue. And sometimes people don't believe it. It's not palatable to them. They don't like the sacrifice of Jesus. Why is that necessary? They don't like several things. Uh, They portray that Christianity is just a buzzkill and there's no real life to it. It's just making up for past sins. And he said the third reason is cost. People understand exactly what Jesus is asking for and it seems a little steep. But what's fascinating about this is What Jesus is sharing with his disciples this particular night, which he also shares with us and gives us the same opportunity, is the fact that what he's talking to is a group of people that are overwhelmed. It's not that they don't believe it. 
It's not that it doesn't fit their worldview. It's not that it costs them too much. They're just overwhelmed by how would we live without him? He keeps saying he's leaving. He's going to be handed over to the Jewish leaders and they're going to kill him. And they can't imagine how they could live with him. And I don't mean to be snarky or offensive, but the opposite is in our culture. We're trying to figure out how we would live with him. And they couldn't imagine living without him. And Jesus offers a good word to all of us, no matter what condition we're in, that following him, there's something for us in the following, that if we give ourselves to him, it's good. You see, in verse 6, he tells them, I've said that where I'm going and you are filled with grief. They're overwhelmed. See, Jesus isn't giving them a blueprint, a recipe. He's giving them help. He said, I'm going to send a counselor. I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send a guide. I'm going to send someone. I won't abandon you. I'm going to give you what you need to do what I ask you to do. It's not going to be found in us. It's going to be found in him. In John 14, 7, Jesus said, but I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. It is for your good. Have you ever had anybody tell you that what they're doing to you, which wasn't fun, is good? Have you have anybody ever sold you the lie? Let me, let me start over. Have your parents ever lied to you? about saying, this is good for you, or it won't hurt that much, or something along those lines. I see kids looking at their parents and saying, you did. Okay, so we'll have confession in the church. I remember distinctly a big boy day in my life. My two, I have two older brothers, and they went to school already, and I knew that's what big boys did. And my mom and dad said it was time for me to be a big boy and go to kindergarten, and I was jazzed. And they told me they were going to get this, and you're going to get school clothes, and you're going to get a lunchbox, which was the ultimate. I had a G.I. Joe lunchbox. Don't be envious. And it was awesome, and it was metal, and now you could kill a person with them, and they won't sell them, but they were great. I had all the accoutrements of going to school, and now I had to get the one thing I didn't have, vaccinations. My parents lied boldly, intentionally. To the child they loved, they lied. They said it wouldn't hurt that bad, and they said it would be good for me. So we went to the doctor's office, and they explained what they were going to do. And my dad made it sound so simple. They were going to take this little cotton ball. And I loved the cotton ball. I was the kid who always fished a cotton ball out of the aspirin container and rubbed it on my face and kept it. It was fun. It was light. It was going to be cool. My dad said they'd dip it in something, they'd put it in my arm, and they'd give me a tiny little shot. And it wouldn't hurt too bad. And the doctor came out of his office with the needle the length of my body, <laughs> with the thickness of my forearm, with a look like he hated Jesus himself. And he walked toward me with that. And my parents kept reassuring me it wouldn't be too bad, but it was good for me. And I learned something about my parents, which is fascinating. I, I saw it as a kid, but I couldn't fathom it. Because I'm one of four boys, there were always stitches and broken bones and concussions and tears and broken teeth and just being boys. My mother was phenomenal in the moment. If someone got hurt, my mom was the one who swooped in. It was her, they were her cubs. She was mama bear, and she took care of all of us. And if someone got hurt, she was right there. And if it was a little thing, like if you cried because you had a scratch, my mom was tough. She's like, oh, spit on it and move on. You know, she was a kind of a marshal in that way. And, and if you were really hurt, you could tell you were really hurt because of how mom reacted. If she went and got ice or she yelled out Dale and uh, she started the car, you knew you were going to the emergency room. And mom was great at it. I learned at a later period in life, and I should have seen the, the evidence, but I learned at a later period in my life there was a reason for this because my dad was the worst. If we bled, my dad would get woozy and have to sit down. If there was a broken bone, he'd leave the house and pace in the garage. My mom had to be tough because my dad was a wimp. But what I found out was is after mom had tended to all of us, she would go in the bedroom and cry and fall apart. And it's funny, every time I've said that, moms in the room are going, I do that. 
But in the moment, take care of your baby. Afterwards, oh my gosh, this could have been worse. But in, in the after moment, when we stopped bleeding, my dad was great. He'd get us a bath or give us food and, and take care of us while mom disappeared and hurt. And so in these moments, I knew I was in trouble. I remember this. I'm not making this up. I remember being in Dr. Bicini's office in South Bend, Indiana, when he came in with the needle, the length of my body, toward my arm. And I looked for my, to my father for strength. And my dad turned and looked away. I'm thinking, it's not even going in your arm. What is wrong with you? And he lied because it hurt. And I know why it hurt, because I tensed. And I was so muscle-bound, you know, it had to hurt. Anyway, I tensed my little tiny kindergarten arm, and he jammed that huge blade in me, and he put that juice in me, and it burned and stung. And I remember thinking, I can still think this today, when I got my polio vaccination, it was a liquid. It tasted like Kool-Aid. It was awesome. Why weren't all medicines this way? They jabbed it in my arm. They got four shots. I have the, the marks still on my shoulder. Uh, that mark, some of us that got them in the 70s when they didn't care about you, you still have a scar. My parents were right. Well, they lied. It hurt. But they were right. It was good for me. It really was good for me. I picked up certain things as a kid and it, it protected me from it. And Jesus is looking at his disciples that night and he said, listen, I'm going to leave and you're not going to get it and it's going to feel like it burns and it hurts and you're going to be scared and you're going to be angry and you're going to wonder what's going on. Does God care? Where is God? At the end of it, this is going to be good for you. I need to go away and I'm going to send someone who's going to come in and he's going to do for you. And I want to share with you five things the Holy Spirit's going to do for us. And Jesus said, it's good for us to have this. The difference between having it and not having it is what you choose. It's not that God's incapable of bringing it to you. It's whether or not you'll receive it. That's what I want you to think about making a decision today. Not for me, for yourself. Because if Jesus wants you to have it, you need to have it. Let's take a look. Verse 7. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The impact of the Holy Spirit's presence in our life is conviction. Conviction is not a fun word for us, because we mistakenly think it's condemnation. I taught a class for several years. Part of my master's study work was gender communication, how women communicate different to men and men to women and men to men and women to women and how that affects the workplace and how it affects all of that. And being married, that was helpful. And never having sisters, it was helpful to understand all of that. But I learned something and it won't surprise you. I'm gonna give you a little pop quiz. Which of the two genders of humanity, which of the species, men or women, have the most struggle with conviction? Men, answer before they do, please. We do, don't we, guys? And we know we're wrong. We just don't want to be told what? That we're wrong. Men struggle with this concept of conviction because we perceive it to be condemnation. Like we failed, like we're losers, like we're broken. Isn't it also interesting that Christianity is, is majority females follow Jesus because conviction helps them become better people and helps them understand where they can do better and try harder and give more and men struggle with it because we can't even admit we sin even though we know we did and we know why we did it and we know that the reason we did it was wrong we just don't want anybody telling us that you see if you can take conviction the good way Jesus offers it to you it's a blessing to your life if you take it as condemnation it'll turn you off and turn you away Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to bring conviction He's going to show you what is real, and he's going to bring it in three areas. He's going to bring it in the area of sin. He's going to show you that sin is poison. 
that the temporary pleasure you may think you perceive from sinning actually has no value. It has no sustainability. It brings you no sense of peace and no sense of hope and no sense of life. And the Holy Spirit is going to show you what is sin and what is not. And the Holy Spirit is not going to lower the bar to make you feel good. The Holy Spirit's going to leave that conviction out there that that's wrong. I knew as a young kid when mom said, don't eat cookies because we're about to have dinner and she left the kitchen, I ate a cookie. And when she came in the kitchen and I had crumbs on my face and in my teeth, I lied. I knew what I was doing was wrong the whole time. And I knew it was wrong to lie to my mom. She was the one who made me the cookies. But I wanted what I wanted. And the Holy Spirit brings conviction into our lives and it shows us what is right what is not right. It doesn't bring condemnation. The reason the Holy Spirit shows us what is wrong is to keep us from pursuing wrong. And righteousness shows us what is right. It shows us the standard of Jesus. It shows us that he came to be our all and we need to live to bring him honor and to bring him into focus. We talked about that last week, why the world hates us is because we actually believe that Jesus is right and doing what he's right often shows other people that what they're doing is what? wrong. And then there's a conviction over judgment that every person will stand before God. Every person saved and every unsaved person will have judgment. The judgment of the saved person will be the things that we've done in our lives to bring glory to the kingdom and build the kingdom. It will all be fire tested. And Paul said those things that that are worthless and uh, proved to have no value, they'll be burned up like stray or newspaper or anything else that doesn't have great substance. It'll just be burned up. And those things that we give that have great value, those things will be tested and they'll be like gold and silver. They'll be more perfect after the testing. But Paul says, but those people will still be saved. And then those, the unsaved, they will be judged by Jesus himself. And I think, if I may, the question that will be asked of the unsaved people is, how can you be saved? Because Jesus is the only way to salvation. Jesus said, I offered you my body. I offered you my blood. I gave you my life and you rejected me. How do you plan on being saved? And there'll be no answer. And they will have chosen to be separated from him rather than receive him. So the Holy Spirit brings something good to us. An awareness of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He does it, and Jesus said, he does it to bring life to this world, not to send it to hell. Verses 12 and 13. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. The goal of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not just to bring conviction. It's also to bring comprehension. And comprehension is different than information. Comprehension is what to do with the information. There is truth that Jesus reveals, but the Holy Spirit allows us the wisdom to implement that truth into our lives in key spots. And I love what Jesus promises us here. The Holy Spirit has no independent message. Every time God speaks, Jesus says, amen. And every time Jesus speaks, the Holy Spirit and the Father say, amen. And every time the Holy Spirit teaches us, the Father and the Son say, amen. There's no disagreement. There's no new revelation. Jesus is the revelation. And the only new revelation there could be is God giving us insight into his son. And so we can know that the word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, gives us everything we need to have the comprehension of the work of Jesus and the life of Jesus. It's about trusting and opening ourselves up to understanding. If the word of God, if the study of the Bible means nothing to you, don't be surprised. If you have not asked the Holy Spirit of God to open your heart for comprehension... If you are not studying and receiving the word of truth to the spirit of truth, 
trying to seek the truth out on our own, we're not capable. And they don't have to go to a mountaintop and, and chant or hum for a certain period of time. You just simply have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal truth, to bring comprehension and conviction. It's in John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said, I will leave and the Spirit will come and take all the things I've been teaching you and make them known. Now, I know this is just a personal anecdote, but I can tell you where I was in the summer of 1974 when I sat at Michiana Christian Service Camp in Niles, Michigan. So I came from Indiana up to Michigan, went to this church camp uh, all, my, all my time in high school, even some in college. And I loved from, from fourth grade on going to this camp. And I can tell you where I was sitting. I know exactly where I was sitting in the campfire bowl tonight. I know who the preacher was that night, but I don't remember a thing he said, what text he used or anything. I just remember who I was sitting around. And I remember the moment while he was preaching, there came a moment in my life where a moment of conviction and comprehension united. And I knew in that spot that A, I was a sinner. That was not a surprise. But I knew that I had not only done wrong, I had done wrong intentionally and it showed my heart and I knew that Jesus would forgive me and I knew I needed to be forgiven and I wanted to be forgiven. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit laid a conviction on me that altered the path of my life. Oh, I wasn't great at staying in that condition, but his mercy and grace allowed me to struggle in following him and learning how to do it. But it was in that moment that I knew, no matter what that preacher was talking about, I knew I wanted Jesus, I wanted to be a follower of Jesus, and whatever he asked of me, I should do. And I made my decision. That moment of comprehension and conviction was beautiful. I had had all the information. I was raised in a Christian home. I went to VBS. I went to everything our church offered. And I started going to church camp, but it was in that moment, and as a nine-year-old, that I was fully aware that I wanted this. Jesus was real, legitimate, and I should follow him. And that moment for each one of you, whether you're a believer or whether you're not, if you seek the Holy Spirit through Jesus, he will show you Jesus, and Jesus will show you the love of the Father. And those things like judgment, we don't fear them because we have been paid and bought for by God. We are restored as sons and daughters of the King. Verse 14. He will bring glory to me by taking what is from what is mine and making it known to you. The method of the Holy Spirit's ministry is bringing glory in all things. To bring glory in all things. Now, glory is a, is a strange term. The only way I can equate it, it's kind of embarrassing, but since I'm telling anecdotes, let's go. There's, been a, there's a place in this world that overwhelmed me. The glory of it blew my mind. I was unable to comprehend the data that my eyes were seeing that I was experiencing. When we were in college, Heather and I would often go visit my aunt and uncle who lived in Phoenix. They had a pool. They paid for all the food. It was a great vacation. And we would hang out at their place, and they were always so generous to us. And they took us up to see the Grand Canyon. So we drove the four hours north of Phoenix, and we went up to the Grand Canyon. And I knew, I knew everything about the Grand Canyon. I'd seen the Brady Bunch episode. I knew it. Until we got out and we walked through the park and we met the park ranger and he was our tour guide and he took us to the ledge and we stood on the bars. And I'm embarrassed to tell you the truth. When I saw the Grand Canyon for the first time, the only thought I could articulate in my mind, I didn't say it out loud, praise God, and embarrass everybody. But when I stood there at the Grand Canyon, all I could think was, it is so big. I must have said that internally a hundred times. It's big. I wanted to yell, people, it's big. And they're like, yeah, we're here too. It's huge. I couldn't grasp it. It seemed like a painting. I, and I couldn't understand it. And so the guy looked at me, and I was young enough. That you have to imagine, but I looked like an athlete back then. And he said, you a baseball player? And I was like, oh, thank you. Yes, I am. 
And he said, pick up a rock. And so I picked up a rock and he said, throw it as hard as you can. So I took one step and I threw it out as far as I could. And when I released it, he said these words, I've not forgotten them. He said, it'll take two and a half minutes for that to hit the ground. Mind blown. And all I said, faster and faster, it's big. It is really, really big. I am still impressed 30 some years later at the glory of the Grand Canyon. Do you understand the word glory now? It's so much bigger and weightier and beyond anything you can fathom. And the job of the Holy Spirit is not only to bring conviction of the reality of God, but comprehension of the truth of God, but also to bring the glory of the presence of God to bear on you in such a way that it strengthens you rather than crushes you. Jesus wants you to have that. He doesn't want you to fear him in a way that you're afraid you're going to be punished. He wants you to fear the fact that he's huge. He's so big. And he's so beautiful and he's so wise and he's so good and he can be so trusted. And this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. If I can be direct, the reason we have inconsistencies in our life is we don't spend any time pondering the glory of God. We believe in the love of God, but we get devastated when someone criticizes us. It's because we've not allowed the glory of God to overwhelm us in his love. We believe in the wisdom of God, but we're afraid and worried and wondering if the Bible would work if we tried it. It's because we haven't let the glory of the wisdom of God overwhelm us. We do things in dark, secret places. We wouldn't want anybody to know. We lie and deceive to do them because we don't let the presence of the glory of God overwhelm us. You see, the Spirit comes to bring things we need. They're good for us. They don't always feel good in the moment, but they're good for us. Conviction, comprehension, glory. Verse 16. In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about it, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I wonder if they answered. Do you? He's like, Are you guys talking about that thing I just said? And they're like, No, never mind. Because what he says next is so crucial. He said, I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. See, the reason I paused there to get you to smile for a second is this. He said, in a little while, in a little while, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And they're like, we just don't get it. Why won't he just tell us directly? And she said, here's what's going to happen. They're going to take me and they're going to kill me and you're going to grieve like you've never grieved before and the world's going to celebrate like it won. And in that moment, I want you to understand, you will see me again. They're not going to be so happy to see me. You're going to be amazed to see me and I'm going to bring a joy into your life that cannot be taken from you. You see, the strength of the presence of the Holy Spirit is to keep the joy of the resurrected Jesus alive. Otherwise, you and I will forget until next Easter. But he's offering the promise that the Spirit gives us a joy that cannot be stripped from us. There will be a time of grief. Then Jesus uses a perfect illustration. He says, a woman gives birth and she goes through terrible pain to give birth to a child. And no woman, when they're done, going, oh, it wasn't anything. Unless there have been drugs and you were knocked out, it was something. 
and their body hurts and they ache and they pay a great price and there's a recovery period. And yet no woman who ever holds their child afterwards says, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. No, they hold their child and they celebrate. And what's funny is it, all three services, Thursday night, Sunday morning, Sunday morning, and now this one, when I say these words, women repeat this for me. It was a lot of pain. It was a lot of anguish. It was a lot of work, but it was worth it. And Jesus said, the suffering I'm about to go through is worth it. And the suffering that you will go through in my name is worth it. And no matter how bad it hurts and no matter how bad it stings and no matter how you think you've been deceived, no matter how much you suffer for the cause of the gospel, at the end of the day, when the gospel is birthed into hope, you will say what? It was worth it. And Jesus said, that's a joy that comes from the spirit and nothing can take it away from you. They can take your job. They can take your relationships. Cancer can take a loved one. You can lose your fame, you can lose your fortune, you can lose your identity, you can lose your reputation, but you can't lose your joy because the Holy Spirit's going to remind you that Jesus has overcome it all by the power of the resurrection and through the death and the cross. Verse 23, in that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use the kind of language, but will tell you the plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. He answers the question he wanted them to ask. Where are you going? I'm going back to my Father. But Jesus does something here that I can't, I, I can't spend enough time on it. I got to be cautious, but I can't spend too much time on this. And that's this. If joy is lacking in your life, Jesus has told you why it's lacking. It's prayer. He said, ask the Father for strength. Ask the Father for courage. Ask the Father for perseverance, and you'll find joy, a joy that can't be taken from you. He equates it to prayer. He says, you're not asking anything in my name, but you will. When you understand truly who I am and you see the power of the resurrection, you'll understand that the name of Jesus is the greatest name, and no one is saved without the name of Jesus. And by trusting in that promise of who Jesus is, allow the Holy Spirit to convict you, and my Father will bring you joy. It's found in prayer. So if Bible study's rough, hard for you, you don't get anything out of it, you're really bored, if prayer is hard or boring or you're not sure it's for you and you don't have time for it, have a conversation with the Holy Spirit and ask him to bring life into those things and watch what happens. It's where anyone who's ever opened the inspired word of God and been inspired, it's not because they're intelligent, it's not because they have the best study techniques or the best helps, it's because the Holy Spirit taught them something. You see, conviction, comprehension, glory, joy, and lastly, verse 29. Then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The comfort of the presence of the Holy Spirit is peace. Jesus does one of the most beautiful things here. I never appreciated this text until I had to study it this spring and prepare for this particular message. And I'm thankful to God for this particular point I get to make. On a night that Jesus should have been warning them what they were going to do to him, Jesus 
consoles them. You see, on that afternoon when he is dying on the cross, only John, in all four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only John was there. And Jesus sent him out early with Mary, his mother, so she didn't have to watch her son die. And all the disciples were gone. And Jesus, in his comfort to his disciples, said, listen, you're going to, on Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening, you're going to be thinking to yourselves, we abandoned him. While he was being brutalized, we left him. We weren't there. He couldn't even see us supporting him, loving him, and caring for him. We just ran and we hid and we protected ourselves. And Jesus knew this. And he said, listen, I'm going to tell you now that you're going to think you abandoned me, but I was never alone. My father stayed with me the entire time. And then he reminds him this, I have overcome the world. He doesn't say you'll overcome the world by believing stronger. He said, I have done it. Even in my death, I'm overcoming the world. I am putting death to death. He said, I got this, and it's going to bring you peace. I want you to have peace. I don't want you to have turmoil. I said, this world is hard, but look again. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In John chapter 16, verse 15 of this text, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. You can have all of this. So what do you need? Do you need an awareness of conviction of what's right and what's wrong? A conviction of the reality of who God is? Do you need the comprehension to know the word of God, to know the truth and how to live it? Do you want to know the, the power and majesty of God, the, the breadth of God, how big God is and loving and kind? Is that lacking in your life right now and you know it's real, but you don't know what, how to do with it? You've never seen it with your own eyes? Do you want the joy that cannot be taken from you, knowing that even in times of suffering, the goodness of God is available to us? The Spirit wants to bring you that, or peace. Do you need peace today, knowing that Jesus will overcome everything, even the evil in our society? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that struggles, a church that struggles with decorum, a church that was struggling with living out on their own. It, I, I've been told that Religion is your glory based on what you do. Christianity is Jesus' glory based on what he did. And yet it says here, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light to shine into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I don't know if Paul knew this, but the Holy Spirit seemed to inspire Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 to take all that Jesus promised in John chapter 16 and put it together in one verse. Let light shine out of darkness. Let his light shine into our hearts, comprehension, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the peace, the hope, the beauty, the majesty, and the joy. That our prayer is not that we do better. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit speak, guide, lead, abide, grow, challenge us. It's available to each one of us, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. There's no believers without the Holy Spirit convicting you to start with. And those of you that have not chosen to believe Jesus simply tell you, listen and ask the Spirit of God to speak. Don't be surprised if you're sitting at a campfire one night and you become overwhelmed with the fact Jesus is real. And then you get up and you follow him and the Spirit will bring you life and hope and joy, no matter if you're suffer or successful, 
what Jesus offers you in his spirit. He wants each of us to have, and we can have it today if we'll seek the Holy Spirit who will reveal the Son, who will reveal the love of the Father and the hope of eternity. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.